Well, our Bible reading this morning is from uh, that great chapter in John's Gospel, John chapter 3. John's Gospel and chapter 3. And we will read the first 21 verses, the account of the Lord Jesus meeting with the Pharisee Nicodemus. So this is the Gospel of John and chapter 3 and begin to read at the first verse. Let's hear the word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again the wind blows wherever it pleases you hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going so it is with everyone born of the spirit how can this be Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is a verdict. Light has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And we thank God for the reading of his word. 
Well, a church anniversary is a time to reflect, and a time to reflect on many things, isn't it? But I think a time to reflect on what we believe and what we stand for. If someone uh, asked you, what does your church believe? I wonder how you would answer that. Uh, We might be very general and say we believe in the Bible. We're an evangelical church, and therefore we believe in the Bible. We might be a bit more specific and say that we believe in Jesus as the the saviour of the world. We might um, say, well, we believe in God, and then try to carry on a bit further than that. But we believe, what I always say to people is, we believe what all Christians everywhere believe and always have believed. And then we believe some things that are particular to our church, our group of churches. So Christians everywhere, Christians everywhere throughout all the world believe in the Apostles' Creed. What is, what is said there is a summary of what all Christians everywhere believe. It's very helpful because it means that we can connect with all other believers, whatever their church name We say, well, this is what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. That's what we believe. That's what all Christians everywhere believe. There are particular things that as churches we believe, and these are sometimes enshrined in our confessions. Down in Bethlehem, in Samfields, we have the, uh, the confession of faith of the Calvinistic Methodist Church. And here you have the Savoy Declaration, 18, 1658. So we, we have particular things that are for us as churches. But the Apostles' Creed is a very general statement and a wonderful one of what we believe. And in the midst of that, we have this little phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're told that uh, C.H. Spurgeon used to repeat that to himself as he climbed the steps into his pulpit in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, Nicodemus... The Pharisee theologian has come to Jesus at night and he's intrigued, but he's also very troubled. There's something he thinks that he can learn from this new rabbi, Jesus. And that's how he addresses Jesus. He just thinks he's another rabbi, he's another teacher. He begins the conversation as if they are equals. I'm a rabbi, you're a rabbi. Let's have a conversation. There are things that I want to know a bit about. So he begins this conversation with Jesus. Rabbi, uh, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. 
No one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. And, and I think Nicodemus imagined that he was going to have a, a rather helpful conversation as two rabbis discussing matters of theology. And there was something about this man, Jesus, that he felt he could learn from. But Jesus cuts right across all of that, as so often he does. And he declares something to him. You see, Jesus is not going to enter into discussion with this man, Nicodemus. He's going to declare the truth to him. He's going to reveal to him something that Nicodemus should have known. But he's going to declare it powerfully and clearly. And what he's going to do is to show Nicodemus what Nicodemus's real and greatest need was. His greatest need was that he should be born again. That is your greatest need, that's my greatest need as well. We must be born again. We must receive new life from God, from heaven. There is no hope for us unless and until we are born again. Every one of us, everyone in the whole world accepting Jesus alone, because he was a virgin, uh, born of the Virgin Mary and his father was God the Father and he alone is the sinless one. Every one of us has been born into a world and into a humanity that is already corrupted and fallen. Since the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, every one of us has been born as sinners and we are rebels against God. And our hearts are fundamentally darkened and we cannot respond to God and we don't want to respond to God. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. The only hope for us, and this is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, the only hope for us is to receive new life from God. And so powerful is this new life that it is described as being born again. It is a new start, a completely new start, where we are born all over again. Now, Nicodemus can't understand that. But then he is ignorant, you see. He's ignorant of the Old Testament, sadly. He should have known all of this. The promise was there quite clearly in several places in the Old Testament, but particularly in the book of Ezekiel. He should have known that God had promised that he would wash people clean of their sins, that they would have a new start, that they would forgiven, be forgiven of all of their sins. But he didn't know that because he still needed to be born again. Now Jesus uses everyday pictures to explain to Nicodemus what he and what we need most of all and how we are saved. First of all, he uses this very straightforward picture of birth, a biological picture. He says you've got to be born again. Now, Nicodemus latches on to the picture but doesn't understand the meaning. So he thinks about human birth and he um, begins to say something quite ridiculous, really, if he reflected on it, and I'm sure he did later, um, because uh, this man, Nicodemus, did later on come to know the Lord Jesus as Saviour. But he said, well, surely you can't enter a second time into your mother's womb to be born. And he was just thinking of the picture, wasn't he? He was thinking of being born a second time. And Jesus said, no, no, that, that's the picture. You've got to be born from above. You've got to be born of water and the Spirit. 
This is to do with a new start. This is to do with life from heaven. This is to do with God working in your heart to cleanse and renew you so that you begin afresh and anew as a forgiven and cleansed and completely washed clean individual so that your old nature is cleansed and you're given this new nature from God which is uh, a saved and forgiven one. That's what Jesus was meaning. So his first picture was one of a a biological picture of new birth. But then the Lord Jesus goes on to give a second picture. And this is the one that I really want us to concentrate on uh, today. And it's the meteorological picture in verses 7 and 8. He uses the picture of the wind. You see, Nicodemus doesn't understand this idea of being born from above, being born of the Spirit. And so he needs to understand something of the Holy Spirit's work. And the Lord Jesus is going to go on to explain that to him. That it's the Holy Spirit who brings people to new birth. It's the Holy Spirit from God who works in a person and cleanses them and renews them. It's the Holy Spirit who comes to a person and this new life begins when he is at work. You see, one, there's one clear point, I think, in what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. And it, it is this. If you just step back from both of those pictures, the new birth and the wind, if you step back from it, what is Jesus saying? He's making it quite clear to Nicodemus that we cannot save ourselves. It is God who saves us. We cannot save ourselves. There is nothing that you and I can do, nothing at all, that can save us. There's nothing that can make us right with God. You can do nothing at all. Everything that you do, everything that I do, before I'm born again of the Spirit of God, everything just makes my situation worse. Even even my resolutions to be better, to be religious, to say my prayers, to try to keep the Ten Commandments, they'll all make it worse because I'll end up being hypocritical. And I can't do it. I can only act as this rebel against God until he comes and changes my heart. And that is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. You can't do it, Nicodemus, but God can. It is God who saves. And by God, Jesus is quite clear that he is speaking of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's not just any God that we are to go to for salvation. We are to go to the one true and living God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. So the first person that Jesus mentions is God the Spirit. He mentions him first. There are reasons for that. We'll consider that probably later on today. But verses 5 to 8, he speaks about God the Spirit. Being born again is the same as being born of the Spirit. It's the same as being born from heaven, being born from above. It is receiving new life from God. And it is God the Spirit who is instrumental in doing that. But where is this new life going to come from? How can God give us new life? Well, this is all to do with the work of God the Son, Jesus. 
And so the Lord Jesus goes on to explain to Nicodemus that there is something that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God, the Son, there's something he's going to do. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to die. He's going to die on the cross. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the, in the desert, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. This new life from the Spirit is there because Jesus has purchased it. Jesus has secured it. Jesus has done all the work that we might have this new life. He's died on the cross. So he speaks of God the Spirit, bringing us to new birth. God the Son, dying on Calvary's cross for our sins in our place. And then he talks of God the Father, the Father's love. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, how is it that God is going to give us this new life? Because he loves us. He loves the world of sinners lost and ruined by the fall. And he brings salvation to us. It's God the Father who says, I will save them. And God the Son who says, I will come into the world and die on the cross so that they may be saved. It is God the Spirit who says, I will take that wonderful work on the cross and I will apply it to their hearts so that they will come to new birth. And it's vital that Nicodemus understands that. And it's also vital that we understand that because actually it's going to affect everything we do. First of all, it's important because we need to be saved. Every one of us in this room needs this salvation. Every one of us. There is no one who has ever been born into this world who doesn't need salvation. Everyone needs it. And it comes to us from God the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit. So let's consider then this wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit like the wind. He saves men and women and boys and girls because of his work. And he is at work. And the reason I'm bringing this to you today is to remind you that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We can look around us sometimes and you're on an anniversary service. There's always that temptation, isn't there? Even more so in Sandfields, Bethlehem, I can assure you, to look back to the glory days and to say, wow, there were some great days in the past, you know. Oh, wow, yeah. This place was packed out. Oh, we've had some amazing preachers. We've had some great preaching Oh, the Lord has been powerful. Well, this whole area has been affected by the work. And the temptation is to look back and to say, where have those days gone? We're not in those days now. Now, that can be very discouraging to do that. But we mustn't do that. We must remind ourselves that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And there's certain things that we need to remember about the Holy Spirit. He's like the wind. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means this. I've got three things about the Holy Spirit and the wind. Okay, it's taken me a long time to get to my first point. And you might be thinking, hang on, um, but it's okay. The three points are fairly straightforward, but they're so important. Number one, the Holy Spirit's work is mysterious. That's the first thing that we need to remember. We believe in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's work is mysterious. There's certain things that we do not understand about the work of the Holy Spirit. There's something mysterious about the wind. 
Now, we're living in a wonderful scientific age and we can predict all sorts of things, can't we? I'm amazed. I I love the weather forecast. I think we're all a bit obsessed with the weather, aren't we? But I love the weather forecast. And recently, they traced the history of weather forecasting and looked back, not that many years ago, because I remember it, um, when the weather forecasts were pretty primitive and quite general. And they had to stick these little clouds on to show you where it might rain possibly, but it often didn't. And now we've got these computer-generated maps. We've got uh, all sorts of satellite imagery. We've got predictions that you can run through to where these weather fronts are going to go. It's all become incredibly sophisticated, hasn't it? But there's still a lot that is mysterious about the wind. We've made great advances in the weather. We know what causes winds to blow. We know things about air pressures and differences in air pressures that can affect the direction and the strength of the wind. We can sort of predict a little bit about where winds might blow. But there's still something very mysterious about the wind. Ask Michael Fish. If you don't remember Michael Fish, it means that you're a very young person. Well done. But Michael Fish was a weather forecaster and he knew, this is the important thing, it's often forgotten about poor Michael Fish, He knew that there were signs that a hurricane was brewing in Europe. He knew that. He knew enough of the weather. I mean, he was a very clever man. He knew that there were signs that a hurricane was brewing in Europe. But he didn't believe it would come to the UK. That was his mistake. He really didn't believe it was going to come to the UK. Because like all of us, as Jesus says, you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. Jesus didn't mean that we have no idea of the direction of the wind. What he meant is that we don't know its place of origin. We don't know its final destination. These are unknown things to us. We don't really know just how strong it's going to be, really. There's certain aspects of the wind that is mysterious, and so it is with the Spirit of God. He comes and he goes. He affects this one and then that one. We don't know how he works. It is a secret work. It is like the wind. And we need to hold on to that. The Holy Spirit's work is mysterious. We don't know how it is that this one gets saved and that one gets saved. And we don't know how it is that God uses this sermon and not that sermon. We've all sat in churches and we've sat and listened and said, wow, someone's going to be saved today. That was an amazing sermon. And no one seems to be affected by it. And then there are other sermons and you think, well, that didn't even have enough gospel content. And yet the Holy Spirit is at work. One of our lovely men is with the Lord now. But every time I, I used to go and visit him, he said, I'm amazed, I'm amazed how the Lord saved me. Do you know, it was, it was through a sermon on Judas. On Judas, that's what he would keep saying. Can you believe I was saved and the man was preaching on Judas? Well, yes, because the Holy Spirit and his mysterious work means that God can use anyone, anything that he chooses. His work is mysterious. And that should make us very wary in pronouncing anything about the Holy Spirit's work, really. He can't be understood perfectly and completely. His work is secret and mysterious, so we need to take care. But we need to remember that being born again is the work of the Spirit. It it, it happens here, it happens there, 
we don't know who will be the next to follow Jesus. I used to play in a brass band and we used to love our hymn tunes. And one of the hymn tunes that we loved to play, we used a Salvation Army hymn book. And one of the ones that we loved, it was a rousing, rousing hymn tune. And it was called, Who'll Be the Next? And uh, I don't remember all the words because we didn't have the words, we just had the music. But I know the words went, Who'll be the next? Who'll be the next? Who'll be the next to follow Jesus? And I often thought about that and thought, we don't know. We just don't know. Because the Holy Spirit goes where he wills. It's mysterious. There's a mystery about it, like the wind. The second thing about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit's work is sovereign. The Holy Spirit's work is sovereign. He is king when it comes to this work. Jesus says, you cannot tell. You see it there in verse 8? The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. You cannot tell because you and I have no control over the Holy Spirit at all. This is very humbling. You know, as, as preachers, as Christians seeking to witness to others, we have no control over the Holy Spirit. We cannot demand that he does this, he does that. He is sovereign in his work. Just as God the Father is sovereign and God the Son is sovereign, so God the Holy Spirit is sovereign in his work. He takes orders from no one. Just as we can't control the wind, we can't predict where it will exactly fall next, so he is with the Holy Spirit. You cannot tell. The wind blows wherever it pleases. We need to know that. We can't demand where and when the Holy Spirit will act in bringing a person to new birth. We can't say that it was because of this or because of that reason that the person was saved. It is God who saves, the Holy Spirit who works. And he saves the most unlikely people. And he passes over those that we thought would be saved. And perhaps we thought should be saved. That's why some families find that all of their children are saved. And others find that none of their children are saved. Or only a few are saved. What does that mean? Does that mean that the first family is more godly? That uh, somehow they brought their children up in a better way? No, it doesn't. It means that God is sovereign. And he works when he chooses and where he chooses. And some he saves when they are young. And others he saves when they are at the point of leaving this world and going into eternity. We don't know. It is God's work. And that means that none of us can boast. You can't say, oh, well, of course, it was because of that wonderful preacher. No, it's not. It's to do with the Holy Spirit's work. He is sovereign. And we can't do it anyway, can we? Remember, you must be born again. You didn't have any say in your birth, and no say at all. You were totally passive in it. It happened to you. It was something that God did. It was something that God gave. God gave you life, and you had nothing to do with that. And in the same way, God is the one who gives us new life. We must be born again. The Holy Spirit's work is mysterious. The Holy Spirit's work is sovereign, and thirdly and finally, the Holy Spirit's work is obvious. See, when he works, then we see it. So we mustn't think that we have no idea at all. 
Because we do have an idea when the Holy Spirit is at work. We have a very good idea when the Holy Spirit is at work because his, his work is obvious. It's mysterious, it's sovereign, but it's obvious. Jesus says, you hear its sound. You hear its sound. You see that in verse 8 of John 3? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. Now actually, and Jesus knew this, but he speaks in the way that we speak and understand. Actually, the wind makes no sound at all, does it? If, it were, if there was a vacuum, there would be no sound at all. Because it's only when the wind meets resistance that it makes a noise. It, it is then, as it, as it hits something, and it, it, it sets up a reaction and a response, depending on its speed and its direction. So, you might have... Terribly annoying um, wind chimes outside your house, you know, and constant ding, 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 ding. Well, what's happening? The wind is, is hitting and then moving and you hear the sound of the wind chimes. Or the branches uh, and the leaves of the tree and the wind whistles through them and you hear the rustling of those leaves. Or, or perhaps you've got a loose-fitting door and that the wind hits it and there's a rattling of doors and a rattling of windows as the wind passes by. Now what Jesus was saying is, you see the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. You can't know where he comes from, you can't know where he's going, you don't know who he's going to save next, but what you do know is when he's been at work. You absolutely know that because he leaves evidence of his work. People's lives are changed. When the Holy Spirit is at work, people's lives are changed. Everything about them is changed. It may not be dramatic, it may not be immediate, but it is certainly true that the life changes when the Holy Spirit is at work. The things that a person used to think, they no longer think. They think new thoughts. The things that a person used to say... Maybe if they had lived a life outside of the influences of, of Christianity, perhaps their language was particularly bad and foul, and their language would change, and you'll see a difference. And not only the way they think and the way they speak, but the way they behave will be different as well, because there is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in a person's life. They were walking away from God, but now they've been turned around and they're walking towards him. Once they hated God in their hearts, they may not have put it in those terms, but their very lives showed that they hated God. But now they are loving the God and fearing the God who has saved them. St. Augustine put it very, very well in the 4th century. He said this, Being born again is like the movement of a weathercock. If the wind blows from the east, it faces east. If it blows from the west, it faces west. The weathercock does not move itself, but it is moved by the wind. The human will is moved in the same way. If unconverted winds blow through the soul that person will face in an unconverted direction and will make the choices unconverted people make. 
But if a converted wind blows through the soul, that person will face in a converted direction and will make the choices that converted people make. That is so clear, isn't it? You see the evidence because of the winds that are blowing through your life. If your life is still unconverted, in other words, if you've not yet been born again of the Spirit of God, if you've not yet received this new life from heaven, if the Holy Spirit has not yet worked in your heart, then unconverted winds are still blowing through your soul and you will be moved and facing in an unconverted direction and you will be making the choices that unconverted people make. But if the winds of the Spirit are blowing through your soul, you will be facing in a completely different direction altogether. You'll be facing towards God and you'll be facing in a converted direction and the winds that blow through your soul will mean that you will make converted decisions and choices in your life because your whole life will be in that direction. And that's what we see when the Holy Spirit is at work. We see people whose lives are now turned towards God and the Holy Spirit has been at work. That can happen very suddenly and very unexpectedly without any other agency at all at times. But it normally works by the Holy Spirit using the word of God, the church and other Christians' words. He acts when and where he wills. He can save you in your bed. He can save you in the street. He can save you in your workplace. He can save you on a train or a bus. People have been converted in all these and many, many other places as well. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does it. How do I know? This is a question I think that many people ask. When we come to a passage like, you must be born again, sometimes people who are born again start to get worried. Have I been born again? Have I really known this work of the Holy Spirit? I can't do it myself. Has it happened to me? And they start to look inwardly or look back and say, do I remember an experience like that? Has the Holy Spirit brought me to new birth? Don't ask those questions. Simply ask yourself the question, which direction am I heading? Where is, where is my life? What are the things that are important to me? Another thing I would say to you is expose yourself to the word of God and to the church. How does that make you feel? How does the word of God make you feel? When you read it, when you hear it, when you listen to preaching. How do you feel when you're in a church? Is this where you belong? Are these your brothers and sisters? Is this the place that you long to come to? Are converted winds blowing through your soul, in other words? Is your life being lived in a Godward direction? How do you feel about Jesus? Do you love him? You say, oh, my love for him is very poor. I should love him more. Of course you should. So should I, should we all. But do you love him, is the question. Do you know him as your saviour? Are you trusting in him? Are converted winds blowing through your soul? These are the questions we should ask. Not, have I been born again? Because that's the secret work of the Holy Spirit. But you see its effects. And do you see those effects in your life?
Are you saying yes to the word of God? Are you saying yes to the church? Are you finding your home here? That's a good indication that you have been born again. And only, only those with the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is Lord. So today, I want you to, to encourage you, going right back to the beginning, to encourage you to remember, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And as we were saying to the children, when Jesus gave that lovely story of the friend at midnight, as we call it, he went on to say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then he went on to say, which one of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a scorpion? Or if he asks for bread, will give him a stone instead? If you, though, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and this is what he says, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So one of the conclusions, surely, of this is that we need to pray. We need to pray. If people are saved through the sovereign, mysterious, secret work of the Holy Spirit, then we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will be at work. Which means that the prayer meeting of the church is one of, if not the, it's a bit difficult to tell, is the worship meeting on the Lord's Day or is the prayer meeting the most important meeting in the church? Depends what you're looking at, doesn't it? In terms of God being at work amongst us and in us and through us, the, the prayer meeting is the most important meeting, isn't it? Because we must pray. And how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Have confidence in the Holy Spirit. Look back with thankfulness on his work here. You are here today because the Holy Spirit has been at work for all of these 130 years. And he hasn't stopped yet. And we can have confidence in that, that he will continue to work with you and in you and through you for his glory and the glory and honour of the Lord Jesus.